Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. It's less about coming across the perfect tube of paint. I find a lot of artists think, oh, this artist's painting is so good. If only I could just figure out what that dang shade of green she keeps using or like what blue is that? And it's, I think we have to realize that you're always tuning your work. You are always tuning the painting. So you can make anything work. You just have to allow yourself the grace to kind of let your brain catch up to all the information because it is a lot to absorb. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where we talk with your favorite artists about how to get better at painting. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today we're talking with the artist you just heard, Amira Rahim. In today's episode, we talk about painting emotions, the power of knowing what your materials can and can't do, and sometimes why you need to turn the music off and concentrate, plus a whole lot more. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 19 for show notes. While you're there, add your name to the newsletter list and get each new episode sent straight to your inbox. Here we go. Hi, Amira. Welcome to the podcast. How did you get into art? Hi, thank you for having me here. Oh, that's a beautiful question. How did I get into art? I guess art just got into me, you know, (laughs) as a little kid, I was always reading and observing and yeah we've just been friends ever since how did you find abstract expressionism and acrylic specifically that came much later in my artistic journey i was always interested in photorealism and yeah i loved painting people especially i loved painting painting people And then that kind of migrated onto scenes and I fell in love with Russian Impressionist art and the way they captured light and color and in this beautiful symphony. And it was always thick with texture and I was just really trying to get my oil paintings in that aspect and falling short every time because I didn't go to (laughs) a Russian art school for a decade or so, you know, so I was... So I'm grateful now because I'm able to pinpoint the exact things that I fell short in while also was extremely aggressively obsessed about, which were color, light, and texture. And so the abstract expressionists wove into my art practice kind of reluctantly for me. I wasn't really too excited about the idea of me doing abstract painting. And I remember it was maybe like 2011, I was painting still as a hobby then, and I would just post stuff on Facebook. And I remember a mutual friend, she said something like, why don't you just paint how you feel? You know, you, you're so frustrated with this painting. Why don't you just paint the colors of your heart? And I was like, who has time for that? You know, like that is complete BS. I was offended. I was like, I'm a real artist. Okay. I don't sit around painting my feelings. God, no, (laughs) you know, I got to get these angles right. I got to get the skin tone. And and so when I came across abstract art, more contemporary artists, it was on Pinterest. And I remember having this 
feeling of like, how come they get to do that? Like they get to do that. They get to make art that's so bright and happy and just beautiful and whimsical. And it just looked like they were having so much fun. And I'm over here on my little five by seven canvas panel with my palette knife and my linseed oil and the turpentine. And I'm looking out the window like I just cannot get this building to reflect the light the way I need it to. And, you know, it was just all these meticulous things. And I'm happy that I went through that period of frustration and almost despair because it led me to saying like, yeah, there's another way. And so I just translated like the same things that I loved and the impressionist work that I saw into my abstract art, color, light, and texture. And so I have those things as my ideals that I still reach for in my paintings every time. So did you feel like you had to give yourself permission to go from something that sort of is quote unquote serious to something that felt more unknown to you? Definitely. I think it was a process of me opening up and looking at contemporary art galleries and and the work that people were actually buying versus what I had been taught in school and feeling like my art had to be this intellectual statement or risk. So I think that's the hardest thing is when you're trying to be an artist and find meaning in what you're doing and find meaning in, in your work. That's hard enough. That's like, that's the whole deal. That doesn't go away. But when you couple that with not enjoying the process, I think it's especially difficult. So with abstract art, I kind of did have to give myself permission to say like, you just want to be happy. You just want to share happiness with other people. And, you know, that whole torture artist narrative is something we've, we've, you know, we've embraced and we've wore our depression with badges of honor. So to shift and say my paintings are literally love and light is a bit bonkers, it feels like. But the proof isn't how you feel while you're doing the work. If you can paint and then you're like, whoa, this is so fun. And I'm so surprised that I was even able to do something like that. I think that spark doesn't go away. I think we can find that in any subject matter, in any medium, in any way. It just so happened abstract was my way. And it kind of makes sense now because I'm a pretty, pretty abstract person. I don't like to feel boxed in and feel like I need to be this or that. And... I like that I get to live that out on the canvas. So even though life can feel pretty rigid and routine, it's like, well, when I'm on, in front of a canvas, I can feel pretty much my real self at that time in that moment. I think that's what keeps us coming back. One of the things I think that beginner painters can run into is think that, well, I've put so much time into this one area like I thought I wanted to paint landscapes and now I have spent so much time painting landscapes like I hate it (laughs) I hate painting but I put so much time into it that seems so terrifying to have known how much time you put into something and then give yourself permission to find something that you actually enjoyed yeah that's huge like I'm glad you mentioned landscapes because my abstract breakthrough took place from a landscape. I painted a landscape. It was a city scene and the sun was reflecting off the water and the sand and there was a little um, cityscape with some buildings in the background. I was working in acrylics at that point, but the painting was very monotone. It was bland and, you know, I was just holding on to it and I just couldn't figure out why... 
it was just the landscape. It just became another landscape. And at that time, I just felt like the world doesn't need another perfect landscape painting. You know, we have phones now. So I was playing around with this app on my phone. I don't even remember the name of the app now because I, I since deleted it, but the app allows you to use all these weird filters and things like that and edit it. And I remember changing, oh yeah, I changed like the temperature and the saturation. And I just put it like, full blast, you know, just like, boom, it was ultraviolet. It was crazy. It was like intense, but that's how the beach felt. It was over a hundred degrees and the heat was so deafening and just imposing that feeling that way. And then looking at my uh, two-tone landscape, it just wasn't resonating. And I decided to paint over that landscape and I just had my palette knife and made the edits and it's so funny because we often have our painting breakthroughs like that like it's like you look at something for like a few weeks and then you go in 20 minutes and you're done you're like boom boom yes i'm a genius <laughs> so, oh man those are the best paintings but yeah i had that experience with it and i looked at it and it was like these intense dark the darkest color were like the dioxide purple and then the sea the water itself was like magenta which doesn't make sense right magenta ocean and and then the reflection with yellow and the buildings and things were green and it was very intense and it sold it sold because i really felt like this is this is the work i could keep making this is work that i could be known for and it felt true to me and I didn't learn it in school. And I was like, I think this means something to myself and to the people who are also in this environment with me experiencing this hot beach, you know? Yeah, it's kind of just been that same process ever since. Painting over really boring things and being like, you know what? I'm going to paint this the way it feels. We're going to get into process in just a minute and then definitely into color. But just real quick materials. What kind of paints do you paint with? So I use acrylic paints, and in the beginning I was just using the Amsterdam Standard Series, which is pretty decent. Do you use heavy body um, fluid? I use it all, yeah. What do you look for in your paints? I would say a fair amount of pigmentation. So one of the things that changed for me when I started working with more professional lines, like Golden, like Liquitex, is the pigments were much stronger. It wasn't super intense. There are some acrylic paints out there that the intensity is like an oil paint and I couldn't even use them. I was like, this is way too beautiful. I don't even want to waste the paint out the tube. It was just gorgeous. And it's acrylics, you know, it's like just juicy pigment and you put a tiny dab and it's like, phew, just so it just, that's the thing. So when you start to use higher quality paints, you find that you don't have to use as much of the paint. So with the Amsterdam standard series, I was just going through paint like water because it kind of comes out like water as well. And then the way it dries too, because it's not as pigmented, you have to use more and more layers to kind of beef it up. But that ended up being a good thing actually, because it helped me understand how to attune my paintings to a certain level of vibrancy that I think is required for me to feel like it's, it's fun. Uh, and then what substrate do you work on? I work on canvas right now. I've done work on paper in the past. Yeah, it's all the same. From a palette standpoint, do you set out a set number of paints every time or do you sort of grab what you need and work from there? Now my process, I have the same four or five colors 
And then every once in a while, I'll have some additional colors. And it's kind of like whatever I've been using, I'll just keep using that for the next few weeks until I'm like, this is terrible. I got to switch it up. <laughs> so you actually do work in a limited palette. Mm. <laughs> I think I do at this point. And yeah, now that I think about it, I do. That's so cool because I, <laughs> I remember using like 50 tubes of paint when I was trying to learn how to paint abstract and just being like insane with the colors. And now I've learned properly how I can mix colors in a way and neutrals and all that. And so, yeah, it's quite limited, but it's so freeing because of how limited it is. So <laughs> it's good. What's the biggest challenge you see your students facing when it comes to material specifically? A lot of artists that I work with in the beginning, they are not aware of the materials that they're using. For instance, if someone hands you a tube of blue and they're like, hey, Kelly, this is blue, use this blue, then you're going to make the paintings with that blue. And you're like, oh, I just can't get this right. And you think you're a bad painter. And it's like, no, that's just a bad blue. So once artists are able to measure the transparency and opacity between different acrylic paints. I think that's super important and understand saturation and then the quality of the paints that they're using, then they're able to course correct. So even if you are using really cheap materials, then it's like, okay, I know my stuff is cheap, so I'm going to do this on top or I'm going to like glaze or I'm going to add three or four layers of that yellow because I know every time it dries, it kind of fades because it's $2. So it's, it's, you become the, the, the master in the situation. You become the captain of the ship. One of the things I love about acrylics, but then also find overwhelming about acrylics, is that because they can do so much, there are so many places where something can go wrong. And by, I don't mean go wrong, I mean go different than the artist wanted it to or had different expectations. So a lot of people, when they start, they have like the stuff from their crafting days and then the, the really nice set that their mom gave them for Christmas. And it can be hard to know, I guess, where things are breaking down. So I guess what advice do you give to people when they're first starting out? My advice is to stop using 100 paints. <laughs> stop using the 100 tubes of paint because I was there and it wasn't until I started really studying color that I started to select the same tubes of paint that you would find a master oil painter using. The colors correspond. And I think, I think it took a while for the artist community to really trust acrylic paints. So we were kind of just trying a little bit of everything, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now we're actually able to see cadmium yellow and acrylic is the same as cadmium yellow and oils. And understanding how cadmium yellow lights up a canvas is huge. You know, it can look like a fluorescent if it's placed next to something. And the same thing with magenta, dioxide purple. The other thing too is it's less about coming across the perfect tube of paint. I find a lot of artists think, oh, this artist painting is so good. If only I could just figure out what that dang shade of green she keeps using or like what blue is that? And it's, I think we have to realize that you're always tuning your work. You are always tuning the painting. So you can make anything work. You just have to allow yourself the grace to kind of let your brain catch up to all the information because it is a lot to absorb. We're going to move into process a little bit. Could you walk us through your process? I start off with deep, rich, saturated colors. 
they're transparent and I make sure that they mix well together. And then it's just a matter of responding to what's in front of me. Some days I can go into my art with an idea of what I need to express. Like, I just can't get this painting out of my head and it happens to be like these specific tones or shades and I really want to get that out of my system, so to speak. But most of the time, it's really a treat. It's like, I'm going to block off the rest of my day and I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to pretend no one needs me. I'm going to pretend the world won't collapse if I indulge myself because it won't. And I just go into this unknown. So I'll put paint down and then enjoy it. You know, like, man, I really love how these things are flowing together. And then you put on a song you like, or you put on some talk or motivational thing you need to listen to. And you attune your body to a state of joy and ease and bliss. I believe that affects the way we paint. I believe that totally. And I'm really trying to share this with the people that I work with to help them understand that you're a painter. Essentially, you're the the magic tool. You know, you're that paintbrush you've been waiting for. You're that tube of paint you've been waiting for. And if you're not flowing and grounded and centered or whatever it takes, you know, we have these words now to situate ourselves, but you just got to be good. You know, you got to be okay. And I think different shades of our lives can, that could be easier said than done. I just find in my process, if I'm going into it and I'm really anxious, then even if I did make a good painting, I wouldn't notice. I would probably push it or keep going or I'll beat myself up or cry in the corner on the floor because I'm looking at it like, what the heck did I just do? This is terrible. I'm never going to sell another painting again. And I have those thoughts still now, seven years later, and it's hilarious to me. I'm like, because I'll post something that I think is mm, not my best and someone asked to buy it. And I'm like, okay, the universe, once again, is like, step out of your way. Your job here is not to critique or judge. Your job here is to do the work. And luckily for me, my process, the work is as fun as anything else I could do on this planet. <laughs> what was the hardest part of your process to figure out, either both from a, like a technical level or a permission standpoint? Ooh, oh my gosh, you asked the best questions. So how do I even put this into words? Because it's just so, it's so evident for a lot of us. It was understanding that I don't need to labor over details in order to move someone visually. When you spend decades, like you said, you know, like we put all this work and time and degrees in some cases learning how to get the details right and learning how to capture someone's hair follicles or pores or drawing with a pencil, all these beautiful skills that we've acquired. And then you, you stand in front of a canvas and it's like, it's like an earthquake, you know, it shakes you up because working on a canvas is unlike anything else. And so what's been really helpful for me is understanding that this is a sculptural experience as much as it is an illustrative one, if not more so. So a lot of times I'll just allow myself to relate to my paintings as if they're sculptures and letting the forms create themselves, letting the paint take on the textures I want it to take, understanding that the materials themselves are so juicy and fun that it doesn't have to 
illustrate anything in particular. And that's super hard when you've been praised your whole life for being a good illustrator. Like, oh my gosh, you're so good at drawing. You're so good at this. (laughs) And you thought you were going to illustrate for the rest of your life. So yeah, I think that's what I like about the abstract process and the biggest challenge I had to kind of let go of. Yeah. We have all these voices in our head and some of them are very loud. And the loud ones are often the ones saying, like, that doesn't look like an arm. That's the wrong yellow. I mean, like, the loud ones, like, what's happening on social media? Will anyone buy this? And then there's, like, the voices that will help us make the painting, which are quieter and take some training to learn that they're even there. How did you, one, learn to hear them? And then how do you get quiet enough? And I'm using the term quiet. That may not be how you interact with that but how do you get into a space where you can actually pay attention to what the painting is telling you it needs or how you feel about it it may seem like a strange answer but it's the only thing that came up as you were asking this and my painting and the work that I do now a lot of it came in some of my most painful moments in life and it's rough There's a lot of things we're processing. There's all these emotions and there's all these experiences and people and that could all hit you like a ton of bricks before you even leave your bedroom. And I just felt as I got a little older and started painting seriously that I started punishing myself in the studio. I started taking those same, you're not good enough. This isn't perfect. All the nitpicking, I started to see that show up in my own art practice. But when the pain or the the discomfort, when that becomes so loud, so deafening, you will feel the slightest bit of relief. You know, the slightest bit of relief may be you using a tube of paint that someone told you doesn't match the couch or is too bright or something. But it feels good when you see it. And you may have a weird shape arm or things are out of balance but you like that and you just start to give yourself permission I think looking at other artists as well is really really helpful especially artists that have already passed when you look at artists that have already passed you can see their lives in totality and it's not this glamorized thing there's no uh, competition and then you can see how they let themselves go in their work and a lot of times the reason why we're looking at them today is because it wasn't like everyone else's and they broke the rules you start to I think just subconsciously forgive yourself and then you're like forgiving yourself one stroke at a time you're just like continuously forgiving yourself forgiving yourself forgiving yourself and then your art becomes it becomes an act of love you know and I think that's the answer to to a lot of our suffering for sure especially right now you know so again it's like why would I have anything other than a loving experience with my art process that's the least I could do for your process what parts of it are fast and then are there parts of it where you very intentionally slow down the fast part is in the beginning I'm just laying colors down and I have to slow down in the middle because that's when it gets serious. And sometimes that slowing down means leaving it up against the wall for a couple days or a couple weeks until you can see beyond what's in front of you. And then it becomes fast again. I do find when it is slow, I don't like listening to music 
or even fast. I don't know. It depends. Like sometimes the music can feel like noise when you're trying to tune into. It's like it requires an extreme amount of focus. I think a lot, a lot of focus, especially abstract, because there's just so much happening for you to be able to contain all that. It's the difference between a beautiful symphony and a headbanging type of torturous sound. <laughs> And the worst part is when you don't know the difference. You know, you're like a three-year-old just clanking things together. That's the worst part. So when you mature, you're able to see when something is noise and when something is harmonious. What is the biggest misconception you run into with people about abstract painting? I don't know. I mean, I try not to really think about the misconceptions because if you do, you probably won't want to make it for too long. But I think the biggest thing is that it's easy you know, I'm always just like, do it then. Because it's not easy when you do it. And I've seen people that they'll take a class with me and they're like, oh, sh- like this is actually really hard. But for whatever reason, not a lot of conversation has happened in terms of the abstract art genre. It's just been kind of like, oh, you can, whatever you end up with is okay. Or it just happened. And maybe abstract artists have even perpetuated that notion of like, oh, I just like farted this out. Excuse my French. But like, I just, you know, I just like the whatever. And now I have this canvas. Maybe at one time that served a purpose, this idea of these strokes of genius, these savants, these like, oh, you know, I don't know how this works. I just do it. And it's just channeled directly from source consciousness. And it's, psh, you know, this $30,000, $300,000, you know. But I've found the abstract art is as easy as love. You know, it's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be phew, a breath of fresh air. And then you start fine tuning it and experiencing things. And you're like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't know why this is so uncomfortable. I thought I loved you. What's going on? You know, it's the same, it's the same with, the, with the painting. So it's like whatever misconceptions people have about it, they're right. They're totally right. It's totally easy until it's not. Transitioning into color, what are the goals you have for the color in your own work? I always want my art to raise someone's frequency. I always want my art to lift someone's vibration. People used to say, when I look at your work, it just makes me so happy, or I was having a bad day, and then I just scrolled, and it feels good. And I always understood that in terms of emotion, like, oh, that's nice they were just having a bad day and my work put a smile on their face but as I'm getting a little more well read on different things like I'm going through Reiki training at this time and just understanding that energy is not it's it's not as simple even our emotions is not you know now when you go to like a psychologist or a coach they have it on a chart people are able to measure the amount of energy that certain emotions give off. And I find the perfect paintings for me, somehow they're able to combine different emotions. Like even these uncomfortable ones, like it's a combination of I'm here, but I'm also going there and it's all okay. And I want my art to be that experience for people. So there's some darkness in there. There's a little bit of edge. But there's a softening of the whole thing. And I feel it's my job as the painter to compose a painting that can hold all of that, that can offer that entire experience to people where it's not leaving anything on the table. You know, it's not leaving them wanting more. It's like, yes, we're here and it's it's good. What does that 
dance look like or that interplay between you, the artist, the emotions you're feeling, and then how you physically get that into color onto the canvas? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the easiest way to help people understand just from listening is to understand that this is taking place over a period of a few days or if not weeks. And so I think before I came to abstract art, And before I really, not even just abstract, but before I came to my own process, I always thought painting was very linear and compartmentalized. And we have one emotion. I'm going to express this one emotion. Sometimes my work is like that, but it's almost like by the time I'm done, I forget why I even wanted to express that singular emotion. So it's not a fit. I think what's more of a fit and why my work probably is so erratic, I guess, even with the colors and things is because I don't think we're experiencing one emotion only. I remember I was working with this life coach, the first life coach I ever worked with. We've been working together for a few months and, you know, I was processing different things and transitioning and seeing some success and things and my uh, emotions. And, but I also was feeling something else. And I remember she said, you can feel happy and scared at the same time. She just validated the fact that we're allowed as human beings to feel more than one emotion. Go figure. I was like, whoa, it's the same with the paintings. So my work, I just try to make sure is honest for me. Because if it was if it was just peaches and yellows, I don't know if that would be honest right now. It might need a little bit of a little bit of dark blue, something heavy to kind of anchor it in. That's been important for my work, but it shifts. It's always a matter of like fleshing through. It really is like writing because, you know, you have some people, they can go through experiences and then they'll write about it and turn it into a short story or like a medium post two days later or a week later. And the other people need years to really sit with it and look at all the angles and aspects of it. Hopefully our paintings don't take years, but (laughs) I think that concept of time is really why it's important to work in a prolific way. And by that, I mean working on more than one canvas, giving yourself permission to let something sit and then go pick up something else. Or, you know, just always having this space where it's fluid. What are the biggest challenges you see with your students when it comes to color? Getting them to understand that the materials they use really matter. The other thing I noticed is that sometimes artists can forget that they have the ability to change the colors that is on the canvas. I know that may sound really simple, but like sometimes artists will, some of the students will say, this dried or this doesn't look as vibrant. And so it's like, yeah, it looks dull, right? Like you see, it looks dull. So you're able to see the fact that it's dull. That's, that's a good thing. So now add more saturated color on top. Now tweak it. Now you can introduce glazing. Now you can do something. You always have a way out. But I think it always comes down to permission. I think that's kind of the common theme with the students that I work with is permission. Can you give yourself permission to go a little brighter today? Can you give yourself permission to paint over something? Can you give yourself permission to let this be enough and just leave it as it is? That's really the hardest thing. For you, how much of it is left brain versus right brain? Like you're in it and you're in it and then you step back and shift into the left brain? Yeah, this is another brilliant question. And I feel like we've tried to let ourselves off the hook by just saying like, oh, 
be right brain. You're in your right brain the entire time. I've noticed when I'm working with people in the program and they go about it super right brain, then it can kind of become this thing where they don't know why they're making the work that they're making or they don't know how they ended up at that painting. It's almost like they're just, they've been swimming under the ocean and they just come up for air and then they have this painting and they're like, okay, what do you guys think of it? Boom. Whenever that happens, I find it's really hard to move into marketing and selling your art because that's extremely left brain. And you need to be able to intuitively, but also intellectually understand that you did something amazing, you know, that you... (laughs) put that daggone yellow right next to some pink and maneuvered that with some green in a way that no one else thought of. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you're fully present in your painting process. So that means sometimes turning off the TV show or sometimes closing all the devices and understanding what's in front of you so that when you go to share it with people, it's less about, do they get it? Do they understand? Because I don't know. And it's more about, hey, I just came back from this really great experience. Let me tell you all about it. First, I put this here. And then I was like, boom. And then I was like, there. And then that's the narrative. That's your process. That's the juice. And I don't, I don't do that all the time when I share my work online. But I think you should know it at least within yourself so that you can overcome that imposter, you know, because we all, we're always going to go through that, you know, and then we talk about pricing, right? And then it's like, okay, well, what's the difference between, you know, you selling a painting for a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars? It's just your intellectual understanding of what it's worth. And um, that's very subjective, but I find it's much easier to tap into if you're, you know, not stuffing Cheetos down your face and watching Sex in the City the whole time you're painting or something, you know, I don't know. Maybe I take it a little too seriously because I know there's a lot of artists that can be relaxed in that way. And you should totally be eating Cheetos while you're doing something you love. (laughs) Uh, All about snacking. Probably not while you're painting, though, because, yeah, some health hazards there. But I think that's that's just a big part. So you can absolutely be left brain and right brain especially when it comes to color and composition. That was the biggest thing for me, especially a composition. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like when you you look at well-designed art and just design in general and you, I took graphic design classes and because I started to understand like, okay, a lot of great painters have exceptional abilities to design. They're great designers and I wanted some of that advantage. And so I took a lot of that left brain type of approach and how I trained myself to make abstract art. And I think that's helped me a lot because now I don't feel so afraid when a painting looks ugly. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, I know why it looks bad. (laughs) I know why this isn't working. Because you're going to make things you don't like, but at least you should know why. If you're making something, some food, and you're like, okay, well, this came out extremely bad, and you're able to say, well, it came out so bad because of this, then you won't do that the next time around. If someone wants to paint in a way where they're painting emotions, what basic understanding do they have to have of color? Because I'm assuming that an emotion won't whisper, you're one part phthalo blue and two parts white, right? That there's technical knowledge that a person needs to know 
what are sort of the fundamentals of color that someone needs to understand to be able to create really expressionistic work? As much as I have a technical approach, it's definitely not my place to say people need to have a technical understanding of color before they're able to really master it. I think some people just innately use color. And the only reason why I say that first is because some of the things I'm about to say probably is just just like second nature at this point. But I was just talking to a student because they were kind of feeling a bit limited with their color and just feeling like they've maxed out with the range of the colors. And for most artists, we understand that there are tones and shades and ranges. And, you know, you go to a hardware store and, you know, just trying to pick out one shade of green can take an hour. For some reason, when we're painting, we forget that. There's just an infinite number of ways we can mix colors. And as long as artists can understand that, then that actually allows them to work from a limited color palette, but keep pushing the envelope. And so one of the things too with color, right? So you end up having like a bunch of different colors and nothing's resonating. And sometimes I, like I remember that feeling. And I, so now I make this analogy of you got to have one star of the show. You know, it's like if you have a movie, there's the main actor, then there's these supporting actors, and they can't all be competing for that number one spot. And so a lot of times when you're deciding what to edit in your painting, especially abstract, what to cut out, what to kind of lean into a little bit more, it sometimes just comes down to you deciding, okay, this is the star of the show. I'm going to let this shade of purple have its day or... I really love this accent type of turquoise, but I, I think its strength is in the fact that it's an accent. It doesn't need to cover the whole canvas. I think it works best as a little supporting friend in the corner, you know, <laughs> instead of, oh, now I got to, you know, I mix this shade. Now I got to spread it everywhere. <laughs> it's like, no. I could see a challenge when someone really loves color is to use all the color in equal parts. And <laughs> yeah. that doesn't necessarily make a strong painting. For sure. And even even with that understanding, I mean, these are super basic things, but when you are trying to teach yourself abstract art, there's just no one t telling you this. People know this in oil painting and they know this specifically in plain air painting and landscapes and definitely like figurative, but they understand that every color has a temperature and that color is only a color is only a color in relation to the colors next to it. So that's really helpful when you're trying to improve your work just by understanding certain paintings have a cooling effect. I mean, I think of it like buffalo wings and like the ranch dressing, you know, certain colors are really intense or like your curry, you got to have like that chicken tikka masala. They always give you a couple dishes of, you know, some, uh, hopefully it's a good place. I don't know. Some cool chutneys or something to just cool the temperature down. And I find it's the same in your art is, is totally the same. So if it's super intense and spicy, it's only going to be even better with a little dose of coolness and something refreshing just to temper the, the palate, literally. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit offline, but you suggest to your students to work across multiple paintings. What are the benefits of working in a series? You have more room to, to make mistakes first and more room to celebrate when you are on to something. 
because you can get really onto something and you step back and you're like, this is it. I'm going to keep making paintings like this. But most of the time, if you haven't had that much experience making good work, then you'll get onto something and then you'll overdo it. And I found that that was the hardest thing for me to get used to as a beginner abstract artist, understanding like, how could something go so right and then just terribly wrong, you know, <laughs> within like a few hours. It wasn't until I started working on more than one canvas that I became almost like a scientist in a lab. I was just studying constantly. And I think artists that are working on more than one canvas, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just studying. We're just putting things down. And then, then your work starts to have a conversation. So another benefit of that is your work naturally develops a cohesion that is kind of hard to achieve if you're painting one piece at a time and you go from start to finish and then you finish that painting and then you post it and see what your friends on Facebook say and then you post it on Instagram and then you maybe you, you sell it or you don't sell it or then you figure out what's going on with your website or your mailing list. And by the time you do all that, weeks can go by and now you're afraid to do it again because you're afraid I'm never going to do it again. Instead of just letting everything flow out of you at once, stream it out onto multiple canvases. It really is a numbers game. So it's like your batting average. You know, when you first start out, maybe one out of 10 of your abstract paintings don't suck. And then your batting average just improves over time. So I think it's a good way to shorten that batting average and just make yourself become more of a consistent painter. I think by definition, working in a series makes you more consistent in what you're doing. The students that you interact with through Better Than Art School, and we'll have links in the show notes, what are sort of the, the biggest challenges that they're facing with their artwork? Looking at a conversation that one of the students was having with one of the other coaches, and essentially she was saying that she looks at her work and she's excited, and then the next day she comes back and she doesn't like it, and it looks too messy. And then she goes and looks at other artists. So the double-edged sword of that is, artists can be a few weeks into the process and then they feel like their work is not measuring up to those artists. And I had to just say first, this is a great opportunity to be aware of your thoughts and see, are these thoughts serving me? Is it serving me for me to compare myself to other painters where I am as an artist? Is it serving me to constantly put my work down and to look for what's wrong with my work? And then the other thing is just realizing that you are here to define your process, to get really comfortable with your process and hone your style. And then once you do that, you're riding the bike, you're on the track, you're pedaling, you're going mile after mile after mile, miles and miles of canvas, essentially, to get to where you think you're supposed to end up as. Maybe you can measure yourself against other artists' work. That's one approach, which I don't recommend because you'll always fall short. And who wants to chase someone else's coattails? The other piece is to connect to an aspect of yourself. If we get quantum with it, that could be 10 years ahead of now or 15 years ahead, who's you know selling out shows and, and galleries and whatever things we can dream of. Who knows what that will look like? And allow yourself to get excited by that unknown and realizing that, hey, I'm just me down here at like 2020, 
doing the work, pedaling away, but I'm pedaling to get to the higher version of myself, my higher self, that aspect of myself that is so confident and so brilliant. And before you know it, you're going to wake up one day and you're teaching a painting class or some, some wild thing like that, you know, <laughs> because you've just been pedaling. And then the other thing too is like, oh, my work looks too messy and... It goes back to composition, but a lot of artists are surprised at how simple, not necessarily easy, but how simple a composition can be, and it still makes an impact. So I think just kind of allowing themselves to, again, decide, like, this is good enough, and it's good enough one out of ten, and I have nine other canvases that I need to get to instead of trying to perfect this one you can create this cool environment for your art to thrive or it can be like this has to be perfect this has to be the right painting i've made so many terrible looking paintings but it's all okay if you just understand that you're pedaling you know some stuff falls away some stuff you take with you but you're still you're still going <laughs> you can find more about amira rahim including her workshops at her website amirarahim.com and on facebook and Instagram. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 19 for show notes. While you're there, add your name to the newsletter list and get each new episode sent straight to your inbox. And if you like the show, consider supporting it by clicking the support button on the episode page. All right, happy painting.